push past the barriers in the business of woodworking. Welcome to the Push Through Podcast. Good morning, Jeff. Hey, how's it going? It's good. It's uh, it's colder out today, isn't it? Yes, it is. I got my long sleeve shirt on first of the year. Was yeah. sun sun burning this weekend, but now I'm wearing a long sleeve <laughs> shirt, so that's Oklahoma for you. <laughs> sure is. Yeah, it's pretty chilly outside right now. Yep. Um, it's crazy to have that weather in September, but uh, yes, it is what it is. Yeah, um, it's where we live. Yeah, crazy. What's going on in San Francisco? Did you see that? No, I didn't. It's like orange outside, like all day, just like an amber orange as if it were, and like, you just need to look it up. I'm not, I, That's I'm crazy. probably not doing it justice, but yeah, crazy times with those fires. Oh. Uh, you got, you got family in uh, Lake Tahoe, right? That's right. Yeah. Are, are they having any issues with fires? Not yet, but generally okay. speaking, it moves that way. So uh, they, they definitely did last year. Man, that's rough. Yeah. That's rough. Well, on a lighter note, what is, uh, what's the best thing you've seen this week? Well, kind of going back to a few weeks ago, my pizza oven that I ordered that I was so, <laughs> so excited about, we finally got it in and got to use it and, uh, works just fantastic. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the best thing. It's a, I mean, I'll give them a cheap plug. It's Uni, uh, Coda 16. It was, it's definitely, definitely a pretty cool deal. <laughs> fits my one fits step. my little yeah fits my little personal niche really well yeah one step one step closer to yes. your uh, your little pizza joint yes <laughs> <laughs> well um i my birthday was uh tuesday and over the weekend my wife said that she was going to be surprising me and uh on saturday she took me to a small airport in cushing oklahoma Yep. And we went skydiving. Nice. And yeah, it was, it was quite the, quite the experience. And yeah. I still can't believe I did it, but I would honestly, I'd probably do it again if I could. So, Definitely worth it, huh? Well, if you like roller coasters, if, if that's kind of, if you're, if you hate roller coasters, not like all the, things that come with comes with roller coasters like sitting in lines and going to the amusement park in general but right if you actually just like the experience then you'd probably like skydiving i got you uh, but yeah it was it was fun awesome um speaking of jumping out of planes uh what is it like to cross the million dollar threshold in a business <laughs> <laughs> beautiful segue yeah uh, <laughs> no it's it's good you know it's uh i mean i remember it it was it was a while back but i definitely remember it and it was a uh, it was a good, good time. And it was pretty cool to hit that um, threshold, but, um, you know, it was, it wasn't always about just hitting that million and then being good with that. It's kind of about growing. So we're kind of, kind of in that next phase of growth now, which is what we're talking about today. Yeah. So yeah, we ended last week talking about, you know, how everybody on the team was motivated to, you know, get as much output as possible to cross that million dollar threshold. But like, what was it like, right afterwards like okay we did it now what was that kind of the sentiment yeah it was kind of the sentiment but it was kind of also we had pushed so hard to get there that we Mm -hmm. actually had a pretty good headwind going into the next year so we was able to just kind of ride that wave and um like i said in that last episode you know we we put on you know we went from one to 
uh, somewhere around 1.6 or something like that that next year, um, which is a pretty good jump, you know, because, and I think it was because that headwind that we hit started from the year before. Yeah. So growth didn't stop. What, um, do you so remember just like kind any of changes this... that had to happen to your thinking? Say that again. Do you remember any like changes that had to happen to your thinking, like your mindset during this time? I mean, I remember that. I remember that at that point, I knew that the business was bigger than just myself, meaning that I couldn't, I could not continue to, you know, maintain this wearing every hat in the business and, you know, having to start to delegate and things like that. So, I mean, yes, there was definitely a change in mindset. And then there was also a change in how we approach sales. So sales were always kind of an afterthought, you know, sales were because production was low, we had to go sell. Right. And, and now, you know, you start getting that million point, you start to realize, well, you have to have consistent sales. And, yeah. uh, that's, you know, that's kind of where we was at, like figuring out how we keep consistent sales so we can continue to grow. Cause it, it wasn't going to just happen with me. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point to bring up the, the vicious sales cycle, yeah. um, which we've got a good infographic that we'll throw in the show notes, but what, um, just describe what the vicious sales cycle is for us. Basically, basically it's, if, if you look at it like a, like a sine wave or whatever, you know, the, the, the sales, when you're, when you're peaking on sales, your production is lower because, um, and your, and your cash is kind of lower. So basically as you go get sales, your cash is low, your production is low. because There's nothing in the shop. And then as you get more sales, those lines get closer together and then they cross each other. Because now that you've got all these sales, you're having to produce them. So your production and cash are high, but your sales are low. So mm-hmm. these, these waves just kind of keep, are kind of mutually exclusive of each other. And the goal is to turn those more into kind of straight lines that are softly up and to the right, you know, and uh, yeah, that way your, your cash is consistent, your sales are consistent and your production is consistent. And the only way to do that is to have a sales effort or, you know, sales strategy or sales process. Yeah. And I think it, it, it's really just, we all have limits, right? And if you're the one wearing all the hats, if you're yeah. the one that's in charge of production and sales and all these different things, you're never going to be able to get past that vicious sales cycle. That's right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Well, we, you know, we've talked about all of these different thresholds. Uh, we've got one more that is I think probably going to be very interesting. And, um, but for this one, the one to 3 million, um, there's, you know, three problems that we've already identified that we've outlined and they are sales swings, which you kind of just jumped into a little bit, right? Um, the quality of your employees Mm -hmm. and then the office systems that you have in place, just like administrative things. Yeah. And, um, I want us to kind of dive into, we, we can probably go over the, we've already gone over the sales swings. We can probably go into the employees, but talk about why it's so important um, to have quality employees at this one to 3 million. Like, do you remember any employees that you had to let go of or that you oh, had yeah. to invest in more yeah, during so this we, time? We've been through a lot of employees and, and I bet you we was, we've gone through way more employees before we hit a million than we have after. And the reason for that is we just got a whole, whole different process for hiring employees. Now, you know, the, the, 
the old system was I would either put an ad out or, you know, talk to my current employees and see if they knew anybody or whatever. And we would essentially just hire a heartbeat. You know, if, if they were available and they could work, you know, starting tomorrow, then that was fine. If they were cheap, you know, that was fine. And we just kind of went with it and soon started to realize that my main focus was always hiring and training new employees. And it just didn't make any sense. So I started making that, um, a conscious effort to hire better employees and, you know, uh, not just hiring the first person that came in. So, um, yeah. you know, and, and obviously part of that is paying more, you know, so we, we pay our employees more than we used to. Mm-hmm. And we, we've just got a better, uh, we've, we've consistently got a better crop. And the nice thing about that is, is, you know, kind of, it's kind of one of those, you know, birds of a feather thing. You, you have these better employees. They also hang out with, the similar type people. So when you're looking for more employees, you know, generally you can go to them and ask them if they know of anybody that needs work or they got, you know, they know somebody that's out there and they'll bring them to the shop. And a lot of times we'll just hire their friends or their acquaintances or whatever. And, and it works out good, but we, you know, when it comes to the actual process of hiring, like right now we're going through the process of hiring one, uh, trying to find one person in the shop for, to help on the uh, assembly line. And it's a pretty important position and a real important position. And there's already one other person that works in that area. Well, he's, he's part of the interview process because he's going to be the one that is working with Mm -hmm. them, you know? And I firmly believe that, you know, somebody in the office like myself, that's not working on the shop floor every day, shouldn't be in complete control of the hiring, you know, um, the person that they're working with every day should. So we'll, we'll give them a working interview for a day. And at the end of the day, we, I talk to whoever's area they're in or, or the foreman does or whoever, and uh, they decide whether they're going to come back another day. And then the process just continues until you get one that sticks and they're, you know, we just decide, yeah, this is a good fit. We're going to keep them. You know, we've, yeah. To, to fill this position, we've already been through two that just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And because the, you know, those potential employees, they'll, they'll talk to who they're going to, their coworkers differently than they'll talk to the boss. So, Absolutely. <laughs> so, you get them out there in their environment that they're going to be in and let them spend the day with this person they're going to work with or whatever in that area. And all of a sudden they're talking about what's going on in their life and they're talking about other jobs and experiences and things like this. And they can find out a lot real quick if this person is going to be compatible with our culture. Right. Yeah. It's so important to do working interviews. Um, I know that we're not a working, a woodworking company, but, um, yeah, we always do like a trial project with anybody that we're going to hire. Sometimes multiple, like as many as seven trial projects on a contract basis that we pay for right. uh, before hiring somebody. And it really gives us an opportunity to see what they're like, to to get to work with them on a deeper level. Um, and you really just, you get to see if you enjoy being around them, if they're a good fit, yeah. what their work ethic is like and how they communicate and all these different things. Um, it's a test so drive. Working, yeah, working interviews are hugely important, and I can't recommend enough including your employees on the interview process. Maybe not the first step, but definitely before you make that decision, because not only are they going to find things that you're not able to find and have different interactions than you are with the applicant, but they're also going to feel like they are valued by you and that you trust them and they're going to feel included in it and even more invested into your company and your culture. Right. Um, so it kind of is a, du- a double-edged sword. 
Um, but yeah, I, I think with, with growing your company and scaling, you know, what was, do you remember the hire that you were like, that made that completely shifted your mindset on this, or maybe like the, the poor employee that shifted your mindset? Well, probably the first we, you know, we ended up hiring a salesperson full time and that was a big step, you know, because that's a, that's a large, um, commitment mm -hmm. as far as capital goes, you know, because there's a, there's a waiting period there before anything happens. So, you know, um, that was, that was definitely a risk that was hard to take, especially since that was kind of my area. It was hard to, it was hard to kind of let that one go. And so, but once we did, you know, it took three or four months to really get it going. But once it did, um, you know, we, we kind of jumped up to that next level. And I think that, I think for us, that was the key that made me realize, well, you know, as long as you invest in the right one, uh, right person, then you're going to continue to keep going. You know, you're going to continue to keep growing up. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, what are some of the, the qualities that you look for in an, uh, in an employee today? Like what are some, and I know that it's different for every woodworking shop. I mean, there's values that are different, um, different types of items and skill levels that you need, but in general, what are some of the qualities that you look for? Man, the main thing is just fitting with the current team, you know, being, you know, non-confrontational as much as possible, but being, a um, some of it's open-minded to, cause we, we run our shop quite a bit different than many, many others that I've toured. And, um, you know, that, that lean thinking and, and following SOPs and things like that, that's a lot different than most environments yeah. at least around here in my area. So, you know, we, we want to make sure that it's somebody that's open-minded to change. That's, you know, that's, that's good with being part of the team and all that stuff. So yeah, we, uh, and we're definitely looking for, um, the kind of people that are self-motivated, you know, self-starters, because we, we don't do very well with the people that just are our task, you know, one task, then the next task, then the next task. It just doesn't, it just doesn't fit, you know, our, the way that we operate. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. And I think just as important as hiring quality employees, it's eliminating the poor employees. Um, yeah. So you know, maybe give us an example of a time that you've had to do that or what that's like for you and oh, how important like firing I've, is as well. I've always, I've always threatened to write a book, you know, cause I mean, we, have, <laughs> we've, had a, we've had to let go of, of so many over the years and, and it's just, it's just an unfortunate part. I used to blame myself that I didn't facilitate them well enough, you know, that, mm -hmm. that I just, that I was doing something wrong to create all this turnover and part of that was true, but now when it happens, um, I'm pretty confident that it's just, it's just a fitment issue, you know? So mm -hmm. it's been quite a while since I've had to let anybody go. Um, honestly, the last person that we did was, uh, had been with us for probably a year and a half or more. And he just, um, obviously had something going on in his life that he didn't want to share with us and, and make a part, make us a part of. So, you know, just consistency became a big issue and, you know, unfortunately we waited way longer than we probably should have gave him mm -hmm. way more chances than we probably should have. But at the end of the day, he was in a key role and, and it was holding up production on a daily basis. So, 
Yeah. You know, it just became a deal where we, we had no choice and, and we backed ourselves in the corner until we didn't have choice, you know, and, and, uh, it honestly came between me and another office guy, uh, Britain, my main guy, you know, he, and I was having to fill in for him at some point every week, you know, for a few hours on the shop floor until he'd get there. And, and that's just, you know, that just can't happen. Unacceptable. Yeah. Unacceptable. Right. Just can't happen. So, um, you know, that's, that's probably the first person I've actually had to fire for a long time. I mean, a, a good, a good year and a half or, or more. Um, that's, and, and it, and it's usually something like that. It's usually something that's just, we've tried and we've tried and we've tried and it just ends right. up being, you know, it can't happen. For sure. And I, I think, you know, you're firing less these days and that's probably because you're doing a better job of hiring these days. Right. Um, so I think it, it's, there's two sides of the coin and, as much as people maybe don't don't want to talk about firing, um, it is an important thing, and you have to do it well. But it makes it a lot easier to do if you have good hiring practices right. in place. So that's right. Um, so we talked about the other, the last, the third problem that we see a lot in this threshold being office systems. Um, how different do your office systems look today than they did when you were crossing the one million mark? Well, you know, the difference is when we was crossing that million mark, we didn't essentially didn't have any. I mean, it was just, it was <laughs> kind of. Did you have just, an office? <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, it was a, it was a space, you know, probably a 10 by 10 <laughs> slot, you know, and, and that was it. So yeah, yeah we, we really didn't even have one, but, but I, I, I could see that at some point we would. And so I started building these systems you know, that we, that we still use uh, some form of today. So a lot of that involves Trello in how we've, how we've, you know, I never just make a system and put it out there and let it run. I usually make it and put it out there and test drive it. And then I figure out how to automate it, you know, so I want, I want other people to use it and break it. And that way I can kind of see the flaws in it. And then I go back and automate it. And that generally works pretty well. So, you know, our one, I can remember a problem in specific that made me start automating office systems. And, and it was, it was a stupid, simple problem, but it was invoicing. Oh, so it's it, always it, a big problem yeah. for companies this size. Yeah. Because you, you know, if you're like me, you didn't have somebody out there just doing that. It was still me or, mm -hmm. or the salesperson or whoever. And we started getting disconnected because it was more than just my work, you know? So it was, there's three of us essentially out there selling. Yeah. And so the things that would fall through the cracks are the, the small jobs and the little uh, ads and change orders and things like that. We had such a hard time keeping up with, with that. So I ended up making a system in Trello that basically, you know, every job had to have a Trello card, whether it was a, a $5 job or five $50,000 job, it had to have a card. Mm -hmm. And then once that card got through the shop, um, it would get dropped into a column and then it would get copied onto a new board that I would, call accounting and I still use it today. So it's how, it's how I invoice all my work. So once it gets to a, a ready to ship status on the shop floor, it automatically creates a copy onto the accounting board hmm. and just drops it into a column that says needs invoice. And it was that simple. Basically I can right. sit down, I can sit down whenever I get time and, and bill for those. And then now we're actually, uh, you know, I've got an office manager now and, and I'm actually getting her trained to, uh, start taking care of that column. So now she she's going to start making those invoices. She drops them onto a separate board that actually copies it onto my personal 
board mm-hmm. and and I'm right now I'm creating a KPI board on Trello that is um, basically tracking the little things that I know are important things like sheets cut on CNC boxes built per day and invoices that sent you know and I just want to be able to track that just the way I know I can kind of keep a finger on that day to day day to day stuff and that one's one I'm just fleshing out right now I haven't really figured it out but I just I'm seeing the need for tracking these KPIs as I get more disconnected from the shop, the day-to-day processes. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, for, for a lot of companies this size, it's just, it's a matter of the owner letting it go. Yeah. And it's so difficult to trust people with some of these things like invoicing. Right. Um, I mean, like you, you already mentioned, I think in the, in the other episodes, like the accounting, you don't let anybody touch. No, no, I don't. And not yet. And, and I will, it's getting, it's becoming a headache, right? It's becoming a headache. It's becoming a necessity and, and I will do it. It's yeah. just figuring out how to do it without, um, it's, it's figuring out how to do it with, to have checks and balances in it to where there's not, um, there's not a possibility of fraud or extortion or any of that kind of stuff. Cause there's, there's so many stories out there. Of, oh, uh, so people. many, you know, I, I remember, um, our mutual friend, Martin, telling me, Martin Holland, um, business coach telling us, telling me about a story from one of his companies where a lady was stealing from him and she was basically going back in the books and coding, um, mis recoding invoices. So she coded yeah. initially as shipping or something from this real company. And then she would go back and change it after it's already reconciled. And it's like, like two years before it's like, Holy crap. You know I mean? Yeah. And so, just sitting there siphoning cash off the company and changing invoices basically. And it's just like, and that was like $400,000. It was a lot of money. And and, and you think that it could never happen to you, but it could, I mean, it could happen to you a thousand dollars at a time. And Mm -hmm. when you're at this level and you're, and you're starting to turn through some real cash, you know, you could, you could start to think about how you could lose a thousand dollars here and there and not really notice it. So, um, so yeah, building a system for that is, it's going to be difficult, but it's, and also be able to keep a handle on, cause that's how I keep a handle on everything is by daily or every two or three days I'm on those books and, you know, I'm doing something on them. So it's just kind of how I keep a handle on the heartbeat of everything. So letting go of that, but still be able to keep a handle on the heartbeat. That's uh, that's going to be the trick. Yeah, for sure. And I, I wanted to ask, you know, we're talking about office systems, and then there's, I mean, I know there's just a million little things um, that you just never have time for that your new, your office manager that you've got in place now is taking care of for you. Um, give us an idea of what some of those things are. Like I know business cards is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, what what um, else? What? Deliveries, delivery scheduling, um, you know, shipping mm-hmm. scheduling, setting up trucks, you know, logistics, that kind of stuff. Um, handling some of the... I mean, I used to just do everything, you know, just handling some of the little things like office supplies and um, going, running to the yeah. store, running to the store real quick to grab a few things, whatever it is, or the hardware store, or whatever it is. Um, you know, just those little things that I used to do that I would stand up and, you know, go like, like I'm going to run out the door to go to the hardware store and I'd stop myself and say, wait, <laughs> do I need to be doing that? Can somebody else yeah. be doing that? And finally, you know, now I'm just pushing all that. Um, you know, one thing was answering the phone. I mean, I mean, I was, uh, I was waiting for you to say for, that Jeff. for probably, 
I'm trying to think. I haven't had a landline for 15 years. Close. Yeah. Close to 15 years. Maybe not quite that long. But I've had a I've got I've got a number, you know, I've got a business number that was a landline and it was forwarded to my cell phone for those 15 years, you know. So um, getting rid of that alone was <laughs> huge. I mean, just absolutely yeah. huge. Probably my phone rings. I mean, I bet you it used to ring 30 times a day and now it probably rings 10, you know, um, it's, it's that alone took a huge load off my plate and just, um, and, and then I would say that the other thing that we're starting to get into now with her is she's starting to go you know, help me with my email. So she's mm-hmm. kind of, um, screening and filtering, you know, kind of pre-filtering. So I notice a lot of stuff that'll pop up and she'll just go ahead and take it. Um, you know, she'll forward it to herself and, and just take it off my plate without, it, without me even having to say. And and that's what you want. You want somebody that can take that load off your plate yeah. and just do things almost without you even knowing. You know, and and what I what I'm assuming is is, you know, she takes those takes that load and then she'll go back and communicate with that person and say, Hey, if you don't mind sending these to me from now on, I can handle these for you in a quicker fashion. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, having having people that can do communication for you is not just good for your sanity and your yeah. you know mental capacity, but it's also better for your company. I can't tell you. I mean, I've worked with so many different contractors around this size, the one to three million, and the number one problem I see is communication with customers, yeah, uh, or vendors, whatever you want to. I mean, just people that aren't inside the company, external communication. And it's because they don't have anybody that's in charge of that. And it's usually on the owner or somebody who has an entirely different role to manage that. And it just gets lost. Um, So definitely a big issue there. Yeah. Um, Well, I'm glad that we've been able to talk through these things. I know that we have some, some tips, some things that will help people to plan as they get into this threshold and how they can move through it faster. So, you know, what are some of the things that you have that, you know, will help anybody going through this stage really accelerate through it? Yeah. So, um, like I said earlier, a little bit, you know, you just, the fact that you're growing, you've got a little more cash that you're turning through and trying to figure out a way to build some kind of a reserve, um, is going to be important because as you're, as you grow everything, you know, your overhead, your, your accounts receivable, um, your payroll, all these things that are robbing your cash. Um, it's super important to try to get a cash reserve. And it's something I still work on today, trying to get some amount of cash reserve. And it's, it seems like it's never enough, but if you can, you know, if you can get to that point where, you know, my, my goal is to have a cash reserve of, you know, 10 to 20% of sales at some point. And I know that's a long shot. I'm not there yet. But if I could have that, you know, I would have a few months of operating and uh, just just be able to weather kind of any storm. So, I mean, that's my goal and it's not going to happen yeah. today or tomorrow, but it's going to happen, you know. Well, I mean, it's so important. I mean, you think about COVID and everything that's happened there. Oh, yeah. Like, Yeah, totally I mean, out of your control. Totally out of control. And yeah, that's what a cash reserve is for. Yeah. The next would probably be like just understanding and continuing to learn the importance of break even, which I still do, you know, I still get taught month to month how important it is to reach and break your, your break even, you know, and, and knowing exactly what that number is. And, 
you know, kind of understanding the concept of overhead absorption. Basically, if you look at overhead, like, you know, all your all your payments you have to make every month, utilities and electric and uh, advertising, whatever you have, you know, that's a over that's a going to be overhead. You know, it's coming whether you're building anything or not. I, I kind of throw labor into that same pool. My, my shop labor, I throw into that overhead bin because, you know, month over month, it doesn't change that much. So if that, however big that number is, the quicker you can use that number, in other words, the quicker you could pay for that number is how quick you're absorbing your overhead. So essentially the more product you produce and the more stuff you bill for in a month, the quicker you absorb that overhead. So the quicker you get to profitability. And overhead absorption is one of those things that's kind of tough, to, kind of hard to swallow, kind of hard to understand there at first. But if you just look at it as a bucket, you know, that you're pulling out of with every sale, you know, with every sale, it takes one one dip out of the bucket. The quicker you can empty that bucket with work, um, that's that's when you start figuring out how you can make some serious money. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, I mean, it's good that we're touching on it, but it's definitely worth doing an entire um, yeah, episode for sure. over on for just sure. break even, but yeah. it is a very important concept. Yeah. Um, yeah. What other, what other, we, you know, little tips you have, you know, we kind of, the other two things that we're working on is, you know, we continue to kind of hone our niche and stay, stay true to what our vision is. And, and, you know, we always ask that question, does this line up with what we're doing with our direction? And which just makes us better at what, you know, our niche, you know, so we're getting really good at saying no to the things that we don't need to be doing. And, uh, you know, now I'm trying to learn on how to, uh, kind of learn how to scale and be less concerned with just selling and try mm -hmm. to figure out how to scale. So in other words, you know, we're kind of looking for that exponential growth rather than just that, the, the problem with just continuing to add salespeople is that you add another batch of overhead, you know, you add mm -hmm. that salesperson as an overhead and some kind of support staff in there to support everything that they bring. And so trying to understand how you can scale your business without adding salespeople through things like some of the stuff we're doing through the marketing and uh, through making our website better, you know, easier to purchase stuff online, basically to where we don't have to be so involved in every single sale it's kind of back there happening in the background. So if, if we can figure that, that formula out on how to scale, it just ends up taking you up a notch and it, and it just kind of has some built in security over that overhead component of having a salesperson. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I think those are all great things. Um, and I, I think I agree that the, the more you can remove with all the technology that we have today, being able to automate things is such a value. And if you can do that, then you'll really not only grow and scale, but you're, you're going to have such better margins because of it too. Um, so it is, it does take time. It takes, um, investment up front. but if you can do it, um, man, it's a, it's a really great thing for scaling long-term. Yeah. Um, well, I've got some little things, uh, quickly that, you know, I, I, whenever I'm working with companies in this threshold that I see, um, you know, if you look at the four years of business, um, you know, you've got guiding the business, getting the business, doing the business and administering the business. And the companies that I see that are really successful, the owners, 
uh, in this stage are doing a really good job of stepping out of doing the business, the production, the you know being on the shop floor. And they're really doing a good job of stepping into those other areas, but not just doing it themselves, emphasizing putting systems in place and putting the right people in place in those other areas. So that's something to definitely think about. Um, we've already kind of mentioned sales processes, but having a sales process um, just makes it so much easier to get to where things can be automated one day. It yeah. allows you to measure things very accurately to know you know, where the bottleneck is in your sales process um, allows you to see opportunities for, you know, price increases um, or in new product. Um, and then it really makes it a lot easier for you to manage salespeople, uh, set expectations and to, you know, hold people accountable that are in sales, which is really important for companies this size. Um, the last one I have is, you know, what you talked about at the beginning is hiring. Um, your hiring process, just really having that down to where it's not like, crap, we got to go hire again. What do we do? And put, I guess we put that ad out there and no, like we've got a hiring process. It's a playbook. As soon as we need to hire somebody, we just, we run the playbook and, yeah. and that's how it works and it's repeatable. And it, then you can measure applicants effectively uh, based on what's going on in the hiring process and give them a similar experience through the application process. Um, and with that, I'll say that it's really important to have an org chart, um, a living and breathing org chart, not just something that you did one day and you never looked at it. Forgot again, about it. Yeah. Yeah. A really clear uh, org chart that you're looking at regularly for when you're making those hiring decisions and going through that hiring process. Yeah. Because if, if you're just guessing on hiring, you have no idea where you're going. You're just, you're just, you're throwing spaghetti at a wall and seeing what sticks. But if yeah. you can, if you can plan out what your next hire is, how much they're going to cost, how they're going to fit into this, how they're going to be cross-functional at times, especially when you're small. Um, that's so key to growing in the right way and couldn't, couldn't, uh, recommend an org chart for somebody enough. So. Yeah, that's, that's definitely one that I, uh, I need to do better at. And I, I look at it periodically um, but every time I do, I always tweak it. So it's, it's something I need to make more of a more important in, in our hiring. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've got a really cool app that we use that we can have it on there and then we can drag things around and add functions to it and all that stuff. So, um, I would make it digital because if you can draw it, then you've got to sure. change. Yeah. You got to, you got to redo it all the time. So at least do it on like PowerPoint or something where you can, yeah. you know, edit. copy and paste and edit and stuff. Yeah. Um, well, uh, what would be your one thing for, you know, so going through this threshold, what's the one thing that someone can go to today um, after listening to this episode? I mean, I'd say that I would say that probably, you know, developing some type of sales team or sales strategy um, just because knowing the importance now of you have to continually be selling, you're going to need some help with that. So whether you maybe at this phase, you've got a different sales structure, maybe more contract based than we are. So you could just develop a sales strategy to continue to grow these contracts. But if you're more of a job shop, you know, you may need more of a sales team or sales person to get you some consistent sales before you learn how to scale. So I'd say the one thing is, focusing on consistent sales and, and trying to 
trying to reduce that that wave up and down and, and try to turn that more into a, up in the right line. Yeah, for sure. I agree. That's great. Sales is so important, especially at this stage, because you're kind of like at an in-between almost, and um, that's what's going to get you over the hump. So, yeah. um, well, we I've really enjoyed this series. We do have one more, uh, you know, 3 million plus is I guess what we're going to call it. And um, I want to remind everybody listening that we are starting masterminds and um, there will be one for one to 3 million uh, for shops that are in that size. And it's going to be limited to just 10 people per group. Yeah. Um, We'll make sure that, you know, I I think especially at this size, it's important not to have competition um, that is nearby. And so we'll make sure everyone's spread out across the globe, uh, across the U S and Canada. I'm sure that's where most of our listeners are. Yep. Um, but you know, we're going to be talking about things on how to, you know, automate some of these daily tasks, how to become a beast in sales, um, and in production, learning the idea of scaling, uh, your company and not just growing it. And then, you know, talking about quality issues and lean and becoming an industry leader and marketing and branding, all these different things. So, yeah, um, lots of good things to talk about there. And I think that it's so helpful to be with other similar, you know, like-minded shops and business owners that are in the same stage of growth as you are. Yeah, uh, and being it's able to talk. To find. Yeah, it's it's really important. So yeah, uh, if you're interested in that, link in the show notes. Uh, also on the pushthrough.com under services, you'll see masterminds, and um, yeah, just fill out the form there, and then we'll get back in touch with you about it. So. Um, Anything you want to say about the mastermind, Jeff? Man, I'm looking forward to it. You know, of course, that's kind of the zone that we're in. We're at the upper part of it, you know, getting ready to probably cross over. But, um, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to the whole mastermind deal just because it's really hard to find kind of that like-minded group of people. And there's, there's whenever you talk to somebody within your kind of threshold or even the one above you, you always find these little nuggets of information that makes it worthwhile. So, um, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, just as a little recap, we talked about the, uh, one to 3 million threshold and we talked about some of the problems that they face, you know, sales swings, um, getting quality employees in the shop, uh, but having office systems in place as well. Um, Jeff's tips for getting through this and accelerating past this threshold were, building a cash reserve, knowing your break even and getting overhead absorption quicker in the month, um, honing your niche and then learning how to scale through, um, automation and achieving exponential growth, not just, uh, linear. Um, my tips were just looking at the four areas of business and stepping outside of doing the business more and more, um, defining your sales process and then defining your hiring process as well as your org chart so that you're hiring correctly. Um, and our one thing for today was, uh, building a sales team and having a sales strategy sales process, uh, to really give, keep your growth consistent, uh, and take you one step closer to scaling. Um, anything else I missed there, Jeff? That's all of it, man. That's, that's, you gotta get her all licked. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you got big plans this weekend? No, none at all. Probably just cooking some pizza, you know? 
Fenny's Pizza Joint. I'll be there. Uh, that's right. Well, that's right. We'll talk about that. and talk about that again, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. All right. Thanks, well, have Bill. a good one, Jeff. All right. See yeah. you, man. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Push Through Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe and visit thepushthrough.com. That's thepushthru.com for exclusive content, articles, and more.